If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Okay, so we have been talking off and on for several months. In fact, I think it was warm enough that we were sitting outside and we were talking about this. About at, the the, secret, the, at the One Rolling Adventure secret compound. Yes, the secret compound. About the last things, judgment and death and judgment, which leads to heaven and hell and all those things. And as a Protestant, I have always had this super murky view of heaven. I know all I can say as a Protestant is that it will be wonderful, but I can't say why as a Protestant. I think, as I've pondered this over the years, I think I understand why I would want to go to heaven. I'm saying that with air quotes. You can't see it, but I'm saying it with air quotes. But I think a really good question is, why does one even want to go there? What is it? What's the draw? Why do I, what do I gain by going to heaven? Am I making sense here? What's, uh, what's good about it? Where, is it just not going to hell? Is that just the whole point of going to heaven is to oh, not go right. to hell? Right. right, right. Okay, so as you said, we have been talking about the last things, which, you know, is a phrase in Catholicism, refers to, as you mentioned, or if you refers to the process of death and judgment, which we've talked about both of those in previous episodes, and then heaven and hell. And then there's sort of an in-between one called purgatory, which we'll get to. And so let's talk about those today. And as you say, let's start with heaven. And I'm glad we're going to start with heaven because over the years, as I've talked about this, the typical direction the conversation takes is mm -hmm. we talk about hell first. Yes, I don't know why, but in most conversations, you'll talk about, okay, people, there's, there's death and there's judgment and then they always want to know about hell, and then finally we get to heaven. Well, we're all a lot more afraid of going to hell than we are of not going to heaven. Yeah, and you know, you took the course that I taught on Dante's yeah. Divine Comedy, and you know, Dante sort of famously in the Divine Comedy starts with hell, and then right. they journey up right. through purgatory to heaven. And so there's a sort of theatrical or sort of dramatic process that's mm -hmm. sort of interesting <laughs> and dramatic to start at right. the bottom and work your way. Uh, but I think actually the direction of that conversation leads to some, I don't know, I don't want to say misunderstandings, but maybe misframing the thing, which leads to misunderstandings. And here's what I mean by that. The way it feels to me the conversation has typically gone over the last 30 something years that I've had it with people is it goes something like this. Why would God send somebody to hell because they're a bad person? And then, oh yeah, and now what about like, why do some people get rewarded with going to heaven? And I just think that that's framing the question the wrong way. So we're going to start talking here in the next, this episode about heaven. Let's start there. And then I think we'll stop the recorder and then we'll, we'll work our way down right. from heaven okay. to hell. Okay? All right. So let's start there. And you, like you said, you know, kind of a murky understanding of it, that at least in evangelicalism about what exactly right. heaven is, what happens there. And I'm glad you said something about why I would even go there. So I want to go back to, you know, my own story. 
And I remember that I, when I was a young college student, I became convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was who he said he was and that he died and he rose again. And that was through processes of kind of, I was in a campus ministry and the campus missionaries kind of walked me through all kind of the arguments for the Bible and the arguments for the Jesus and the resurrection and all of that. And I, I, I think I came to the conclusion or came to believe that that was in fact true. And then I remember thinking as a young man, young student, well, okay, but then kind of then what? Well, then now we go on to, well, then there's going to be heaven. And I, I mean, Ed, I got to tell you, I distinctly remember feeling really disappointed because I believed that Christianity was true, but I was so unexcited and bored by right. the idea of heaven. So like, I'm going to do this because I think I, I think it's right. And I think it's true, but the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, like I just doesn't, I don't feel motivated in my Christian life. When I was a kid growing up in the Baptist church, we would, we were pushed to witness to people. Yeah. And the whole point was to save them from hell, not to get them to heaven. Right. They're, you know? Right. And I, I remember, I mean, I was, you know, 20, years old or whatever, 19, 20, 21 years old, feeling incredibly demotivated. Yeah. Like I was this demotivated new Christian because I had to acknowledge that Jesus was who he said he was and Jesus is Lord. I'm saved, but I don't know, nothing excites me about this because, and here's why I think is all the depictions of heaven sounded boring to right. me, right? So it's like, well, you're going to go somewhere and, you know, of course, the kind of comic things, you're going to float on a cloud and have a, a gown and pluck a right. harp, which sounded dumb and boring and not very exciting. The thing that was really demotivating to me, and maybe you can relate to this having been a praise and worship musician and right. Pentecostal, but I remember going, and at that time, when I was that age, I was bouncing around in college to a bunch of little churches or churches right. that were around the college campus. And one of the ones, a couple of them that I went to were kind of charismatic yep. Protestant churches, you know, vineyard kind of thing and whatever. And they would go, you know, I'm a young student or whatever. I go in there and they have this praise service at the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so they're playing the songs and everyone's waving their arms and... They right. do the, you know, praise and worship chorus 98 times right. for half an hour while everyone waves their arms and sways or whatever. Right. And then, and this was like, in my mind, like the death move is that the worship guy would go, this is what heaven is going to be like. Correct. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to go. This is boring. Like, right. I have, n- I, please, no. Right. Right. And I mean, they would like to say that, they go, you know, I'm just so excited because we're here right now. And you you probably said this stuff when you're leaving, sure. right? And they said, they go, this is, this is right now. We're just, we're, we're in, we're in heaven's front door right now. And, right. and, and this is what it's going to be like forever. And I go, we're going to stand here and sway and listen to these boring songs. Right. Over and over again, 24 7, 365 for eternity. Right. Like, I don't want to do that. Nothing, it doesn't sound interesting. It doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound desirable. It doesn't make me happy. It doesn't right. do anything. So I really struggled in my own life and in my own Christian journey because I think that 
the Christian journey has to be motivated by heaven. Like you said, this whole idea that, well, what we have to do is save people from hell. I mean, there's, that's true. Right. But from a motivational standpoint, from up with Christ, I feel like I, we're supposed to be following him somewhere. And right. it has to be somewhere at least yeah. that I desire to go. Otherwise, why am I following? What are we inviting them to? Right. right? And, and so I think that really understanding this is the key, not only just to sort of conceptually understand heaven as a doctrine, but to really understand the nature of the Christian life. Because if you look at the New Testament, the New Testament book of Hebrews or whatever is all full of all the stuff about how the Christian life is pursuit of a better place. It's, it's in desire. It's, it's trying to get to a destination, right? And that's right. what it means to follow Christ, to follow him, right. to go to this destination, to feel like you're motivated by that. And then, of course, the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation. At the end of the book of Revelation, we sort of see this, this glimpse of what, you know, the new heaven and new earth is like. And the whole New Testament is constructed in that way to be this motivational thing that leads up to it. But so often the way that people have had that described to them or taught to them or the way that they approach it demotivates their Christian life and it demotivates their discipleship. So all that to say, in the next number of minutes, as I talk about this, I'm less interested. I want to be doctrinally correct because everything I, ever, I say on this podcast, I want to be 100%, 110% faithful to the, to the teachings of the Catholic Church, the right. catechism of the Catholic Church. And I think that everything we try to say is, and if we aren't, you know, please correct right. us. That being said, I'm less interested in a doctrinal sort of lecture and more interested in these conversations in the next few minutes or whatever about framing this in a way that makes sense to us mm -hmm. and motivates us yeah. in our Christian life. Makes sense? Yeah, good. So let's start by talking about heaven in, in this way. If we were to think about our goals in life, we could think about certain goals that are like means instrumental goals they're called sometimes so they're means to an end right right so like i was saying to you earlier for the start of the podcast ed would like to buy a lottery ticket today so that he could scratch it off and win ten thousand dollars why because ed wants to buy a new guitar right why does ed want to buy a new guitar right i can follow this chain right. i want this because i want this right. because i want this because i want this right but eventually you follow that chain either up or maybe down and you get to the base, you get to the, or the terminal goal. And the terminal goal is something that you want for no other reason other than it's just desirable. Right. There is, there's no because after that statement. You know, and a lot of times when we talk about heaven, we'll talk about we want to go to heaven because it's full of joy or because in heaven we'll know God and we'll experience joy, which actually puts God one step still an instrumental goal. Right. Right. I, right. I want yeah. to go to heaven because I want to see and experience God because then I'll be happy. Yeah. And what it does, it makes the terminal goal happiness right. for which God is an instrumental goal. Am I making sense? Yes. And I can see that if you think that, then you're going to see this life differently. Like I, I need to, I need to be happy. What right. am I, what's God going to do to make me happy now? I need to be happy. Yeah. And so what Christianity teaches us, what Orthodox, classic, whatever you want to call it, right? You know, traditional Christianity teaches us, and particularly the Roman Catholic Church teaches us, grounded in scripture, all the way from Genesis 1, is that God himself is the terminal goal. 
Now, this is a subtle point, so stick with me. Right. We don't experience God in heaven so that we will be happy. We are happy because we are experiencing sure. God in heaven. Yep. So the terminal goal is to know and see and be present before God. That is, in a sense, my purpose. Now, you know, we've talked many times on the podcast before about this idea that's central to, again, classic Christianity and Catholicism in particular, which is a thing is partly defined by its end, the thing for which it is made. You know, so we've said before, right. hey, the, the goal of a chair, the essence of a chair is, chair, is chairness. Right. And the essence of chairness is something that will, you know, hold my you know, rear end, right? right, that I can sit on. If you design a chair that I can't sit on, it isn't participating in right. chairness. Right. Does that make sense? It's not a chair. Or it's a broken chair. It's a chair. Yeah. It's a disordered chair. Okay. That's what we might we say in another context, uh, which I probably don't want to get into right here. In the, the catechism, we talk about disordered things. Right. Right. So, you know, catechism teaches, for example, that homosexual acts are disordered, inherently disordered, because the thing, things are ordered to an end. Right. Right. And so certain things that are disordered because they are pointed away from their end. Don't lead that way. They don't yeah. lead that way, right? So when we talk about that, we say, well, what am I ordered to? As a human being, what is my end? What am I ordered toward? What is the word from classic theology? What is my telos? right? A t- telos, an end. Right. W- what is mankind, man, women, whatever, what are we made for? And if what we say is we are made for happiness or made for joy, then the question is going to be, well, what will bring me happiness and joy? And does God become or faith become a means to the end of happiness? And do I need God for that or don't I? Or don't you? And will heaven, there's the other question that comes when we get into the details of heaven, people will say, well, will heaven, this is why it didn't motivate me, the thought of sitting in some praise and worship service right, forever, right? right? Didn't sound like it was going to make me happy. So that didn't sound like an end to me, right? Like the end I wanted. If, if, my, if my goal is to be happy, then you have to portray heaven in a way that is going to spark my imagination. May go, oh, now that would be it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So maybe there are people out there who think that standing in a in an auditorium swaying to right. praise and worship music under colored lights twenty four seven would like make them eternally happy. Right. But it didn't. It didn't motivate me because again, if you're if you believe that the human that humans are made to be happy, that that is our natural end, our telos, our, our terminal goal, then, then it's incumbent on me as a, as a preacher or as an evangelist to portray heaven to you in a way that sparks your imagination right. and makes it attractive to you because you go, oh, yep, okay, you sold me on this. That sounds like it would make me happy. Right. And I think this is where so much of our talk about heaven falls apart. Okay. Because the premise of the conversation is you're trying to convince somebody or you're trying to portray something that they think would make them happy. Now, I'm sure in the next few minutes, we're going to get into the, the most difficult question that arises in every conversation about heaven. I want to put it off just for a few minutes, but I'm just to acknowledge it. This is like touching the third rail of the subway. <laughs> this is the most dangerous question the 
can possibly come up in any conversation about heaven, and that is, will my dog be there? Right. Okay. Right. Will my pets be there? I mean, people are more passionate about that than right. that their neighbor will be there. Right. 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 You know, I don't know if my neighbor will be there, but you know, if if my dog isn't or right. my cat isn't, okay. So let's just push that back for a second. But again, if what I believe is that heaven is supposed to make me happy, I can't imagine being happy without my golden retriever Finnegan. Right. And I mean, I say that actually, like my, I actually do have a golden retriever named right. Finnegan and he's my best friend. He's my best, my, sometimes I feel like right. my only friend. You've been explaining things <laughs> to him for weeks. Now. I have been. Sometimes I feel like he's my only friend and he's absolutely my best friend. And I can't imagine being happy without him being there. But that's if I think that the end right. of a human being is to have happiness. But if my end is something different of which happiness is a byproduct. Right. Okay. And so that's what it is, is that Christianity teaches from Genesis 1 that we were created in the image and likeness of God. Right. And that we were, that, that God scooped the dust of the earth, breathed life into us, and gave us and formed us in his image. We were made to enjoy, to, to not to enjoy, to be in fellowship, in contact, be before him. And when you look in the garden, what it was is when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God would fellowship with them. He was there with them. He would walk with them in the cool of the day. Right. We were made to see and be seen by God. We were made to be in communion with him as his image, as his children. And as long as we are separated from him, we will never be happy. St. Augustine, great saint of the Catholic Church, once said in his famous confessions that my heart will be forever restless until it finds its rest in thee. In other words, when we were separated by sin from God, we have forever been trying to find our way back home. It's like, let me try another word, and that is belong. You know, if if I were to ask you or ask any of our listeners, where do you belong? Now, that's a different question than where you would like to be. Right. Right? But in all of us, I think there is this deep sense of longing and, 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 and a sort of a desire of belonging. And we try all this stuff in life. We try finding this and pursuing that and going here and all the things that we do. In a sense, we're searching for the right. deepest longing of our being. Mm-hmm. We are searching for the, the thing that is missing in us. Right. The thing that we, no matter what we try, you know, rolling right. stones can't get no satisfaction. Right. No matter what I try, I can't get no satisfaction. No matter what I attempt, experience, do, whatever, it only makes me sort of partially happy, fulfilled, right. because I never have found that thing. I've never found that thing to which I belong right, and that place where I truly belong. And the book of Hebrews talk about in search of a better country, or sometimes it's talk about, you know, this, this, this notion that comes up in Christian literature of the centuries about in search of, of, of a distant country, searching always for that place. Right. Am I making sense? Yep. yep. Okay. So what Christianity has always taught us is that we were made to be in communion and direct communion with God. And when we were separated by him in sin, when Adam and Eve turned away from him, 
ever since then, we're just nothing fulfills us. Right. And I think that when I think back and I'm, you know, I'm goofing on the the praise and worship service thing, but you know, whatever. It's my podcast, I can goof on it. But right, I mean, but you know, when someone says, Hey man, we're gonna sit in this thing and just sing praise songs, you know, choruses over and over and over again forever, I go, I don't know. That is not the thing that's missing in me. Right. Right. Like when I do that, I go, Oh, this is it. This is the thing that right. was missing. So I would say to all of our listeners, that thing that you're missing. Now, let me tell you what Christianity and what particularly the Catholic Church teaches about that, okay? Okay. So this is actually from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It is paragraph 1023, because the Catechism is organized that way. And it's the section that begins with heaven. And here's what it says, first sentence. Those who die in God's grace and friendship and are perfectly purified live forever with Christ for they see him as he is face to face. We were made to see him face to face. Genesis chapter three, first part of the chapter, God would come and be with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden because they were his creatures and they bore his image. And when they they disobeyed him, they hid from him in the bushes. They, They became this separation. And they wanted to hide from him. And we have longed to see him face to face again. Now, what's interesting is there's a couple of things. I mean, I could go down on this for a long time, in more time than we have for the podcast today, but we can go out throughout the Old Testament. But one passage, you know, strikes me in particular, and that's where Moses is on the mountain mm-hmm. in the book of Exodus. And he says to God, I'd like to see your face. And, and God says, no man can see my face and live. And yet Moses longed to see the face of God. Fast forward to the New Testament, the Gospels, and it's the scene of the the incident of the transfiguration. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on Mount Tabor over the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. And there he is transfigured. He's revealed in all of his glory. And Moses and Elijah are standing there. Mm. One of the things that always struck me is that at that moment, Moses' wish was through. granted yeah. because he was seeing God in Christ face to face. And I think about all of those people who encountered Jesus and some of those remarkable encounters. I think about the woman who came and, you know, anointed his feet with tears and these kinds of things right. and how moved they were. I think about the centurion who was standing underneath him at the crucifixion. And it, it says that, and when he saw the way that Jesus breathed his last breath, he said, surely that man was the son of God. Right. There is this incredible desire in us to see the face of God. Now in Catholicism, that's exactly what heaven is. It's called sometimes the beatific vision. Yeah. And we studied this in Dante when we took the Dante course, that when you get to the top of sort of Paradiso, you come to the beatific vision, which is you see the the Holy Trinity. You see God revealed in all of his glory, with no veil between us and him. And as a creature created in his image, this is our end. This yeah. is what we are ordered to. This is what all our existence is ordered to, is to be before him, to see him and to be seen by him and to have all of the mists and confusion of sin. You know, one of the things that Catholicism teaches us, Thomas Aquinas talks about this, that when that happens, we were able to understand, to see, to what he calls apprehend Mm -hmm. with our minds and grasp the fullness of 
God's creation and the wonders of, of the universe right. because we are stand before him. And that is called the beatific vision, to see God face to face. So Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1024, it says, heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings, the state of supreme, definitive happiness. Hmm. But again, it's getting the order right. right. It's happiness because we have achieved our end. Yeah. Not we look for God as a means to the end of happiness. Am I making any sense here? Yes. And it, it makes me, I find that comforting because it relieves me of the urge to try to put details to it that I can't, all I can do then is try to come up with, well, maybe there'll be this big guitar shop and the, you know, or so, yeah, right. or whatever. I have to trust God now right. that when I see him as he is the beatific vision, that it will be what I want and, and what fulfills me and what my, and will complete me and be the end of me, the, the end for which I was created. That then relieves me of thinking, well, gosh, I hope heaven is this or that. I'm just, I don't need to draw a picture of it in my head. That's fine. Dante did a good job of it. And that was, that was instructive, but that wasn't actually, you know, physically correct. Yeah, yeah let me say something about that. But first, it was, you were talking, something came to my mind. And I don't remember who wrote this. So somebody out there is a listener, email me if you remember the source of this. I'll, I'll Google it later, but email me anyway. But there was a Christian writer, I can't remember who it was, who said, imagine God came to you and he offered you a choice. And he said, Ed, I've got, you know, two doors here, right? Right. Behind door number one is all wealth, power, glory, fame, and happiness. Happiness in this life and in the next. You, you can have all the guitars you want. You can right. you know, be the greatest guitarist. Your people will love you. You'll love them. And that will go for eternity. It isn't like some short-term gig, right? right. You're going to go to you know, hell or something. Right. But I'm going to offer you eternal happiness in all the things that you have and want. Right. Story number one. But here's the thing. You will never see my face. Yep. And behind door number two, is uncertainty, struggle, persecution, death. But in the end, will stand before my face and see me. Right. And the writer said, whoever wrote this said, if you felt a chill behind your, in your spine, would you trade away seeing the face of your creator? Right. For all the stuff right. in this life and the next. And, you know, maybe some listener goes, I would. Right. But I wouldn't because, right. again, you know, when I first read that, I think I read that like, I don't know, 20, 30, 30 years ago or something when I was a student or something. But I was like, oh, my gosh, it, you know, that, that touched me because I thought this is what I am ordered to. I, am, I, you know, I know that behind everything I see, all those things that I would be behind door number one for me, all that stuff and all those people and all those things, I would be going through them hoping to find that thing that right. I was made for. And so, so, yeah, I mean, in the end, we're made for that beatific vision, that face-to-face -face relationship with God. Now, like you said about the imagery of heaven, you know, this is an, this is an important point. Pope Benedict, the recently deceased Pope Benedict, said in one of his writings that describing heaven often backfires. 
I mean, he said it yeah. much more eloquently because he was a, a genius right. theologian. I'm not, but he said, you know, essentially I'm paraphrasing that describing heaven almost always backfires because whatever you describe it as is inadequate. Right. And there's going to be some people in your audience who go, yeah, 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 that sounds great. And others who go, eh. And so we got to be careful. Now, the Bible uses lots of imagery. I mean, the parables of Jesus are full of descriptions right. and imagery because we were trying to get imagery across. But the Bible isn't teaching that any of those images aren't, they, 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 in some sense, they aren't just metaphors and parables. That in some sense, this is indescribable. Right. Other than to say that it is the thing that you have always desired. And yet our imagination has these limits to it. Like you said, the Dante class, Dante did as good a job as he could given uh, the best job anyone's ever done. Right. But he was following conventions, right? He's writing a literary work. He's like right. ca- like painting a painting or carving a statue. He's he's composing this epic poem and he uses, you know, literary illusions. Dante, as I said in that course over and over again, Dante wasn't teaching that these things were literally true, that there literally was, right. you know, Right. The things that he described in there as, but those, it's an imaginative way to look at it. But you see, our imagination has limits. And there's this famous line from C.S. Lewis where he talks about this, that I think illustrates it so very well. He said, imagine that you had a little child who has just begun to experience eating candy. And, you know, your kid's three years old or whatever, and eating candy is the greatest thing that they can imagine. And then you tried to kind of have a conversation with them about the birds and the bees. Right. I don't know why you're having a conversation with a three-year-old about the birds and the bees, right. but nevertheless, just that's terrible. And you try to say, well, you know, when you grow up and, um, you know, and a mommy and a daddy get together, right? They, right, right. You know, and that when mommy and daddy come together, it's the greatest, you know, thing that they, fulfillment, right, the right. thing they can imagine. He goes, and then the, the kid says, well, do they eat candy while they're doing it? Right. And you go, uh... No. And he goes, well, then it doesn't sound very fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? right. So why would right. I want to do it if you're not, it doesn't involve eating candy? Because right. the kid's exposure. Right. Right. He's got to benchmark this against something that he knows. And the best thing he knows is eating candy. Right. So he can't imagine being happy unless happiness involves eating candy. So this is always the danger of describing heaven in any particular way. Is if I say you're going to meet your, come, come to the, the, the place, the thing for which you have always been designed, the ultimate, you're ordered to right. the, your, your right, end, right, right. And right? You're going to experience God face to face. And that is the thing that you were made for. And you will finally find the fulfillment of all other things that you've, then you go, yeah, but will I, will my dog be there? Right. You go, well, right. Uh, right? I, I'll get to the dog thing in a second, but right. But you sit there and you go, right. Cause I can't imagine anything being right. desirable unless my dog is there. Okay, so I brought that up. Let me get the dog thing. Because right. I know, like I said, this is the most, the single biggest thing that comes up in any conversation. Here's the thing. The Catholic Church has no particular position on whether Finnegan will be in heaven, except that, well, actually it does. It, it, it says that Finnegan will not experience heaven. And here's why. As much as he's a very, very good boy, right? right, right. He's the goodest boy, I tell him all the time. But the thing is, is that dogs are not created in the image of God. Right. Okay. I mean, he's a very, very good boy. Right. But he's not created in the image of God and he doesn't have a moral soul. Right. So all the good things that he does, he doesn't do them because he chooses good rather than evil. He has what Thomas Aquinas called a sensitive soul. He behaves his senses. 
Right. And he does have some, you know, emotions. Clearly dogs have emotions, right. cats have emotions. But the thing is he doesn't have a rational moral soul created in the image of God. And so in a sense, he's not, A, he can't choose God, right? right? And he can't experience God in the same way that we can, because although in some sense, I'm, I'm sure, right, as a creature, all right. creatures are there. But he isn't created in God's image, so he can't stand before the, the, the Trinity right. and experience him. So in one sense, Finnegan can't go to heaven in the same way that a human can go to heaven because he can't experience no the beatific, he has no capacity for experience the beatific vision because he's, he's, he's not created in the image of God. Number two about that is that back to the kids and candy and sex thing. Right. I can't imagine that I could be happy unless Finnegan was there with me. Right. But that's like the kid with the candy. However, for anyone who's like angry about this, <laughs> and I'm kind of like really bummed out about it because I really want right. Finnegan to be there. The thing is, I also know that in the new heaven and the new earth, God is going to create a new heaven, a new earth, and, all, and, 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 and he's going to create beautiful things. We know that the nature of God's creativity, he gave us dogs, Right, and he gave right. us cats and he gave us right. trees and he gave us wonderful things. And there's no reason to think that in the new heaven and the new earth, in that redeemed heaven and earth, he right. won't put good things. Right. And so it's very possible that my, that my very, very good boy right. will be part of the very good new creation. Well, maybe the idea of heaven for Finnegan is to go with, for a walk with you on the beach and be told that he's the goodest boy. Because which that's he, which he is, well, right? right. <laughs> which uh, which is what he was created for. Yes, in in a sense. Yeah, right. That's right. He's, but what we're saying is, right? Animals aren't people in the sense that they right. can't experience God in the same way. Right. But but it's but but I take comfort in the fact that in God and in the new heaven and new earth, all good things will be there. And so, if all good things will be there, then I'm sure that the very goodest boy of them all will. Well, uh, right. <laughs> my, my wife and I have had four cats in our marriage and there's one of them that I'm definitely hoping does not make the cut. <laughs> I just would rather not ever see him again. Which is a great segue to hell, right? So, um, <laughs> so in any case, right, I mean, we could talk a lot more about it, but you know, heaven is, I think those are, those are the things that I think I would say. Yeah. Thanks. It's, it's great because you've just laid out the basics. And I'm going to trust God that whatever it is he has in mind is way better than whatever. I don't want a heaven that I create. Why would I want that? Right? Yeah, it would be terrible. Yeah. You know, I mean, I always, I, right. I mean, I always think about that. Like, I'm glad I'm not in charge of it. I mean, honestly, if, if I was given, you know, the, you know, the ring of power to make whatever I want, I would make right. hell. Right. Right. I mean, you know, so the thing is, is what I really want to find is the thing that I really was made to find. Well, I think I, I brought this up before. So in another podcast, what I was I'll made keep, to be, keep it really short. But in that movie, What Dreams May Come with yeah. uh, Robin Williams and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. It's a lame movie. Yeah. Because I was, I was, I wanted to throw my popcorn at the screen because Robin Williams commits suicide and goes to hell or go or dies because he's, he's trying to find his wife. And Cuba Gooding meets him there. He's an angel or a guide and whatever. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. And he tells, and Robin Williams says, where does this come from? And he says, well, it comes from your mind. Right. You, you created all this. I really, I did. And I was sitting there thinking, I do not want a house full of paintings that I painted 
Nobody wants that. Well, first of all, that's dumb. I mean, yeah, for the right. reason that you say, but it, it actually inverts it, right? So instead of instead of me finding my my belonging, my fulfillment, my right. rest in God, God in a sense finds his fulfillment in me. Mm-hmm. And I think that seems backwards. Yeah, I agree. It's good stuff. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its Saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.